Hello, I'm Rob Pacienza, senior pastor of Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church, founded by Dr. D. James Kennedy. It's my honor to join you today on Dr. Kennedy's signature program, Truths That Transform. We have a very special presentation for you today, the first of two parts of our special documentary, Who Is This Jesus? Is He the Only Way? As we approach Easter, the airwaves are once again filled with skeptical scholars claiming that the Bible is little more than a product of the children's game of telephone and that the New Testament accounts of Christ cannot be trusted. And yet untold numbers of people have been transformed by this Jesus. What does the evidence actually show? Are the Bible's accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus true? And can they be trusted? Is Jesus the only way to God? We will talk with scholars and pastors as we seek to cast aside the myths and distortions and discover the truth. We begin with the most comprehensive reports we have of Jesus' life, the Gospels. The Bible is the presentation of believers testimony about who Jesus is, the four Gospels being the major witnesses, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These Gospels were penned by four disciples which bear their names. Matthew, a former tax collector, was one of the twelve apostles. Mark, a student of both Peter and Paul. Luke, a physician by trade, was also a detailed historian. John, the apostle, wrote three other books in the Bible which bear his name, and he wrote the book of Revelation. Uh, the Bible's testimony to Jesus' life comes primarily in those four books. These texts shed a lot of light on Jesus and his teaching. Skeptics and unbelievers have various theories about what did and did not happen in the passion and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe the biblical record is the historical record, is the true record. Traditional scholars have held that these first century authors wrote as eyewitnesses or from those who wrote what eyewitnesses said. But skeptics challenge the authenticity of the Gospels. Here, I'm going to talk about why the Gospels are fiction. Now, I use in formal parlance, we say myth. Uh, <clears throat> it really just means fiction, not true. Uh, it's made up stuff. The biblical Gospels are far more trustworthy than most people realize. They think that they're myth, but in truth, what we have are historically verifiable events that happened 2,000 years ago that were written down very close to the time that they were happened and that were preserved in over 5,000 manuscripts that we have today. The textual content of what is actually in the Bible is the most secure set of text that we have for any ancient writing. We have multiple manuscripts that support the wording and we have and we have multiple manuscripts over a long period of time. There are many who try to divide history and theology as if it can be one or the other but can't be both. And yet the truth of the matter is that what we have in the scripture are historical stories that actually happen that also teach us about theology. Many scholars believe the letters from Peter and James are fake. That means we really don't have any clear idea of what Jesus' immediate disciples actually thought about him, his teachings, his miracles. 
There's no reason to wonder what did Paul really say in Romans or I wonder what Jesus really said in the Sermon on the Mount. There isn't any doubt about that. We know. And so the text can be trusted, should be trusted. And as a matter of fact, scholars do. Scholars who write technical commentaries word by word on each word in the Greek text. Why would they do that if they thought the Greek text couldn't be trusted? Most scholars place the death of Christ around 30 AD, making the time period that the Gospels were written a vital piece to authenticating their claims. Virtually all scholars agree, even the very skeptical ones, that the Gospels were written somewhere between 20 and 65 years after the life of Jesus. Most scholars believe that the Gospel of Mark was written somewhere between 20 and 40 years after Jesus. So relatively speaking, the Gospels are, are recent accounts of Jesus compared to his life. Skeptics date the Gospels much later, doubting that Jesus could have accurately predicted the fall of Jerusalem, despite Matthew, Mark, and Luke all recording Jesus' prediction. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem did indeed fall. Apart from Christian sources, there are also many secular accounts of Jesus from around this time. We have literature written by secular or non-Christian historians around the time of Jesus. So shortly after Jesus, you have Tacitus, Josephus, Lucian, and Mara Bar Serapion. They all mention uh, Jesus in some sense. Josephus, who is a first century Jewish historian who lived right after the time of Jesus and actually lived in the emperor's house in Rome after he was captured during the war that uh, had the temple overrun in AD 70. He testifies to Jesus' life and says that he was crucified under, under Pontius Pilate, that his followers claim that he was raised from the dead. So all the core elements of Jesus' life and then, of course, in the West, in Greek and in Latin, we have people a generation later talking about Jesus. I think this is very important extra-biblical, extra-New Testament evidence for the existence and activity of Jesus. And by the way, the way they describe him matches what the Gospels say. He was known as a teacher and as a miracle worker. And even though he was put to death, his following continued. With an insurmountable amount of evidence confirming the Gospel's authenticity, the conclusion must be drawn that they are the accurate accounts of the life and work of Jesus. If all of our New Testament manuscripts disappeared, we could recover virtually the entire Greek New Testament from quotations, from church fathers, from commentaries, and so on. So that's how well attested it is. So the, the New Testament is hugely, hugely documented. We believe the Bible is the Word of God because of manuscript evidence. We believe the Bible is the Word of God because of the internal testimony of its truth. We, however, also believe the Bible is the Word of God because of fulfilled prophecy, and that's a major factor for why we are convinced that the Bible is more than just a book of religion. It is the Word of God. Jesus is the most unique human being that's ever been because He is divinity in the flesh. And Jesus is the most profound human being who's ever been because He truly points us the way to God.
The events that we read about in the New Testament took place about 2,000 years ago. Is what we have in our Bibles today what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John actually wrote? The biblical texts that we have uh, are reliable. We know that because we have so many old copies and, and uh, we do what's called textual criticism. That just means comparing the ancient texts that we have to determine what the original reading was. And so there's almost no question. New Testament scholars have an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the manuscripts. Many skeptics offer a portrayal of passing down of biblical texts that looks like the children's game telephone where the message changes a little each time it's passed on until it looks almost nothing like the original message. Okay, of course, these, these articles, these interviews, these radio shows, television programs always come out just before Christmas or Easter to let Christians know, really, you're believing in, in Santa Claus and you should abandon this thing. But scholars, even those who are religious skeptics, know that simply is not the case when it comes to the biblical documents. The reality is that scholars can compare manuscripts across time. There's no ancient text that is better attested, both in terms of quantity and in terms of quality of evidence. There's no better attested book than the New Testament. What scholars are looking for in evaluating documents is manuscripts that date as close as possible to the events they depict, and evidence that those manuscripts have been faithfully copied and transmitted through time. On these two criteria, the Gospels have no rivals. When it comes to the copying of the Gospels, what we have is a tradition of writing. And so somebody's writing something down, the next person is looking at it, and his intention is to get it exactly right. It is not to garble it. We have more biblical manuscripts than any other of the ancient manuscripts. We have 6,000 biblical manuscripts, and many of them are very, very close to the original time they were written. Compare the Greek New Testament with other writings of antiquity. Julius Caesar wrote Gallic Wars. We have 251 known manuscript copies. Plato's Tetralogies? There are 210 known manuscript copies in existence. The New Testament, however, is in a league of its own, with more than 5,000 manuscript copies in the original Greek alone. And within the first four centuries, we have as many as 121 copies of the New Testament. That's almost 10 times as many as you have of any classical author for the next 1,800 years. And it's not just the number of manuscripts, it's also the age of these manuscripts that's significant. We have earlier copies of the New Testament than any other uh, writing from antiquity. We have manuscripts from the second century, uh, very close to the time of Jesus. This is very different from the ancient, other ancient writings like Plato. So the fact that we have so many biblical manuscripts and they are so close, many of them are very close to the time of the events that they happened, uh, helps the authenticity of what we're reading. When one compares the time span between the author's date of completion and the earliest known manuscript in existence, the historical support for the New Testament is overwhelming. Caesar wrote his Gallic War sometime before his death in 44 BC. Yet the earliest copy in existence is dated 900 A.D. That's a gap of 1,000 years. 
Plato wrote his Tetralogy sometime before 347 BC, yet the earliest manuscript copy is dated around 900 AD, a time gap of more than 1,200 years. Contrast this to the New Testament, which was completed no later than 100 AD, while the earliest known manuscript containing most of the New Testament is dated about 350 AD. This means that the time gap for the New Testament is only about 250 years, and there are manuscript fragments even earlier than that. We have two very old, complete Greek Bibles, or almost complete Greek Bibles. One of them is Codex Sinaiticus, and the other one is Codex Vaticanus. What makes these so important is they date somewhere in the 330s, 340s AD, and, and you have the whole thing. You have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you have Paul's letters, you have, and you have the Greek Old Testament. And so these are invaluable manuscripts, and of course, not only are they early, we have other early papyri, we can compare them. If we applied this popular skepticism towards the New Testament and applied it towards some ancient Greco-Roman figures, Cicero, Plato, or Alexander the Great, uh, we would have to say that they did not exist because we're having documents especially for Alexander the Great, that come hundreds of years after he lived as our earliest real material on his life. In the 4th century, the extension of the Roman Empire meant that Latin began to eclipse Greek as the dominant language. And so copies of the Bible were done in Latin more than Greek, almost twice as many. Other ancient languages bring the number of copies to somewhere between 20 and 25,000. You stack those up, and it's the equivalent of four and a half empire state buildings, a mile and a quarter high, about 6,600 feet high, compared to the average classical author, his stack would go up to the level of a podium. So a podium, four and a half skyscrapers stacked on top of each other. That's, that's a bit of a difference. So the New Testament has by far the most contemporaneous documents, but skeptical scholars have seized on variations in different manuscript copies to assert that the New Testament text is untrustworthy. Bart Ehrman is a notable example. Mistakes happen when people copy texts, and the problem is when somebody copies a text and makes a mistake, the next person who copies the copy replicates the mistakes of his predecessor. And he makes mistakes of his own. And then somebody comes along and copies that copy. When uh, Professor Ehrman talks about numerous uh, variants, what we call uh, textual variants, and uh, errata, errors, and so on, which then have to be corrected, I think he gives a distorted picture. When we look at the 20,000 lines that make up the Greek New Testament, the entire New Testament, there are only 30 or 40 places where there's the least question, and not one of them has any impact on any serious teaching in the New Testament. While there are sometimes minor variations among the thousands of different copies of the manuscripts, they are correctable because there is such a wealth of documents to compare with each other. What we have is uncontrolled copying in these early centuries. And let me give you a, an illustration. Let's say I spoke to an audience and it had 300 people in it.
and I read out um, a two-page document, maybe a five-page document, my guess, and I have all of them copy it. My guess is that there would be a number of differences in these copies. And if I collected all of them, I bet, in fact, if somebody else collected all of them who understands how texts work, how copying works, I bet that person could definitely come back to exactly what I said, even though there's differences among these copies. Because we have hundreds of manuscripts where we can then compare, we know what the original text read. There's not a single cardinal doctrine that is jeopardized by any textual variant. The resurrection of Christ, the deity of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ, the second coming, the salvation by faith alone, all these things are very clear in Scripture and no variant changes that. And fairly recent discoveries have helped confirm the accuracy of this copying tradition. In 1947, in what is now Israel, near the community of Qumran, a shepherd found scrolls that have come to be called the Dead Sea Scrolls. This find included copies of the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Before this, our earliest known copy of Isaiah dated to the 10th century A.D. But the Qumran copies were more than a thousand years older than that. Scholars discovered when they compared them that after more than a millennium of copying and recopying, there were virtually no differences, and certainly none that changed the meaning. If one wants to decide that the New Testament is historically untrustworthy, then one must be willing to become a complete historical agnostic. Because if you can't trust the most attested book in the history of the world, then you certainly can't trust other books that are less attested. No ancient document exists today that has more textual evidence and more historical evidence than the New Testament. That's the reason that there's a church today. It's the reason that we're still studying today. Everything we've seen so far reflects the scriptural evidence regarding Jesus. But can we learn anything about Jesus Christ apart from what's in the Bible? There are lots of things in ancient non-Christian historians that uh, verify the historical backdrop that we find in our Gospels that can even verify a number of things about Jesus. Scholars note that within the first few centuries after Jesus, there are non-believers who reference Jesus or his movement. These sources, mostly Roman, include Tacitus, Pliny the Younger, Suetonius, Emperor Trajan, and most importantly, Josephus. Josephus lived in the first century, so he lived very close to the time of Jesus, if they didn't overlap a little bit. He became the court historian for the Emperor Vespasian, he wrote a history of the Jews called The Antiquities of the Jews. And uh, he has a paragraph in his wonderful history. He wrote the history of the Jews from earliest times to the present. And he has a paragraph about Jesus where he describes that he was a very virtuous man. He was very moral and he had many followers. He was then put on trial by Pilate, crucified. And his disciples said that they saw him three days later. All the core elements of Jesus' life, not the details, but the, 
core outline or in what Josephus says. Later on in Antiquities, he refers to James as the brother of the so-called Christ, which assumes that he has referred to the Christ earlier on in his writing. So Josephus does provide us with a little bit of information that corroborates what we find about Jesus in the Gospels. In addition, there are multiple sources from early Christian writers who are not in the New Testament, including Clement of Rome, Barnabas, Polycarp, Ignatius, and Justin Martyr. In addition to these written sources, there is also confirmation of the events surrounding Jesus' life from archaeology. There is so much attack on the reliability of Scripture from uh, the groves of academia in the secular world, uh, not everywhere, but uh, you see it primarily in the media. And it's kind of ridiculous because more and more evidence piles up, it seems, every other month on new discoveries being made in the Holy Land. About 90% of them immediately confirm the biblical record, Old or New Testament. Before archaeological discoveries, some skeptics doubted what the Bible says about Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor who decreed that Jesus be crucified. What is so interesting about it is some of these radical mythicists up until 1961 were saying, oh, Pilate's a myth too. There was a German guy arguing for that in the 1840s. Why, there was no Pilate, there was no this, there was no that, there was no Jesus. Well, archaeology obviously has embarrassed that theory badly. And in 1960, an Oxford scholar said, you know, I don't think Pilate was a procurator, the way Tacitus says in about the year 120. Pilate was probably a prefect because the governor of Egypt is called a prefect, and so Pilate's the governor of Judea and Samaria. He probably was a prefect too. He said that in 1960. The very next year, a stone is found at Caesarea Maritima, and guess what it says? It's a dedication about a building for the Caesareans, and who's the dedicator? Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. Archaeology can be an expensive study. They need to know where to dig. So where do they look for guidance? It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Book of Acts, and Josephus. And that's so they know where to, where to dig, and they can dig intelligently and understand better what it is they're finding. Why do they do that? It's because these writings, these four Gospels and the Book of Acts, exhibit what historians and archaeologists call verisimilitude. They reflect the world of Jesus the way it was, and they find them as reliable guides. This is happening again and again, whereby the hard evidence from the past in the form of archaeological artifacts, the smoking gun from the ancient world, I call it, the DNA evidence that comes along and will turn a trial on its ear. This is now coming thick and fast at us from this wonderful latter-day gift of God called archaeology, which has been around such a short time. As you have just seen, the evidence for the history recorded in the New Testament is overwhelming. You might not know that from listening to the skeptical scholars that regularly appear in modern Jesus documentaries. But the facts are the fact. The New Testament documents are the most reliable, best-attested documents from all of antiquity. 
If we cannot believe them, we cannot believe any fact of ancient history. And all the supporting evidence from archaeology and writings outside the Bible confirm the unparalleled authenticity of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life. But there's yet more to the story, because this Jesus tells us that he is the only bridge between us and God. Be sure to tune in next week for the conclusion of this two-part special, Who is this Jesus? Is he the only way? In part two, we will investigate the meaning behind the cross of Jesus and explore the central question of history, did he really rise from the dead? Until then, I'm Rob Pacienza. D. James Kennedy Ministries is standing for truth and defending your freedom. We'll see you next time. Every Easter and Christmas, the airwaves are once again filled with skeptical scholars who say that the Bible's accounts of Jesus cannot be trusted. The uh, weight of probability is that uh, there was no Jesus. Do you know how to answer such claims? The book Risen Indeed, Evidence for the Resurrection by Dr. D. James Kennedy examines the key historical evidence for the bodily resurrection of Jesus, and it debunks the false theories that skeptics have offered up to deny the resurrection. We'll send it to you as our thanks for your generous donation to the work of this ministry. Risen Indeed will bolster your own faith, and it's ideal to share with an inquiring friend or acquaintance who needs the gospel. And if you can give a gift of $50 or more, we'll send you the book Risen Indeed, plus the full documentary special, Who is this Jesus? Is he the only way? We live in a culture that finds the truth claims of Christianity offensive, especially Jesus' shocking claim that he is the only valid way to God. And yet, untold numbers of people have been transformed by him. In Jesus, I find complete truth. I don't find anything missing. You see, if Jesus rose from the dead, it's game, set, match. Christianity's true, period. Who is this Jesus? Is he the only way? Features experts, scholars, and pastors like Michael Youssef, Erwin Lutzer, H.B. Charles, and many more. And we'll send it to you along with the book, Risen Indeed, as thanks for your gift of $50 or more. Just contact us today. That's the book, Risen Indeed, as thanks for your generous donation. And the book plus the DVD program, Who Is This Jesus? Is He the Only Way? As thanks for your gift of just $50 or more. Contact us today to receive these important resources proclaiming the truth about Jesus. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.